Holy Spirit, Lord, we are completely dependent on your inspiration, not only in the actual inspiration of the scriptures, but in its application and hearing in our lives today. So come, Holy Spirit, in power and might, and open up our hearts, Lord, drive out from us any distraction. Lord, for those of us who this morning come into church uh, feeling ashamed, Lord, let them know that your grace is more powerful than any shame we bear. Lord, let them know that their failures are nothing compared to your mighty victory, which you share with them right now. So, Lord God, we pray, come in power and anoint the preaching and teaching of your word. Let us go away from this place refreshed and rejoicing because we know that the Spirit of God has spoken into our lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our, our readers of scriptures this morning were good. Good reading. Thank you. Thank you, brother and sister. I appreciate it because I... And I really love the book of Revelation. It's a, it, that crazy, wild book of Revelation. And I love it not because it provides us some kind of roadmap of future events in a prophetic way, although it does certainly show us our ultimate future. It does reveal how God consummates all things at the end of the age. But I particularly love this book, Revelation, listen, because it shows us, it, it, it talks about, it teaches us about, first of all, worship. And, you know, um, we were thinking as a church, where should we go for our model of worship? Uh, should, we, should we go to the hipsters and find out how they do it? Uh, should we go to uh, the television productions or reality TV and see how they do things? No, we said, let's go to the Bible and see what worship looks like in the Bible. And there you have it right there in Revelation. So many of those points of, uh, of symbolism that we have right here in our church this morning are directly taken from the book of Revelation. There's so much singing in the book of Revelation. There's at least 20, 20 uh, songs, 20 hymns in the book of Revelation. So that's one of, our, one of the things that we get from this book. Another thing that we receive is that we, we hear about enduring as faithful Christians, enduring as faithful Christians. But most of all, we see the supreme lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. So this is a refreshing and helpful book for us today. Now, you need to know that the book of Revelation is probably composed around the year 95 A.D. That's certainly what the early church fathers thought. They thought that this, uh, I mean, Irenaeus thought it was written under the reign of Domitian, the emperor Domitian. Other early church fathers thought the same. It's written during that Roman emperor's uh, time, and he was the emperor who was, he was not like Nero, who sort of just like was crazy about persecution. Domitian was systematic and cold-blooded about persecution. He's the emperor that demanded that we refer to him as Dominus et Deus Noster. He wanted to be referred to as our Lord and God, Domitian. Well, it's going to surprise you that Christians would not comply with that requirement because we already had a Lord and God. And so Christians around the empire were suffering varying degrees of persecution precisely because they would not worship Domitian as a god. These Christians in this time to whom this book is written were being tempted to compromise their loyalty to Jesus Christ and to conform 
to society around them. There were two main forces driving that temptation for those Christians. And the first one I've already alluded to it was, the, was the force of persecution. Particularly, we think about the trade guilds in that period. Uh, the professions and the trades were, were organized in guilds. And the trade guilds in that early period were heavily invested in emperor worship. And if you did not comply with emperor worship, I don't know what trades you might have been in, fuller's trade, those are the people that bleached clothing or uh, metalsmiths or other trades. If you didn't comply with emperor worship, if you were a Christian of conscience and you would not do that, you could lose your job. In some places, refusing to adopt the pagan practices of the surrounding culture risked having the mob enraged against you. Loyalty to Jesus could even lead to being imprisoned and in some cases being killed. So the temptation is this, because of persecution, just fudge a little bit. Just fudge a little bit. Put that little, you know, when that special week comes at the office, put that little I love Domitian (laughs) sticker on your desk. You don't have to mean it. Just don't stand out. Don't risk being canceled. There's absolutely no way we could identify with that today, is there? (laughs) Equally strong in this time were the allurements of the world. This is another pressure that the church was facing, the allurements of the world. Just as in our era, the Roman world was at that time was a pornified society, the the ruins, the, after the uh, explosion of Vesuvius, the eruption of Vesuvius, uh, Herculaneum and uh, Pompeii were buried by ash and lava, and as they've excavated those cities, those Roman cities, just about 20 years before this period of when the Revelation is written, they found it to be a, a very licentious culture, just like our culture as well. Sexual libertinism, especially for men, was accepted and practiced in that culture. Likewise, there was always that desire. It's the same desire we have today for wealth and status and comfort, tempting believers, tempting believers to exchange Jesus for the Roman dream, for the good life of Roman society. But John's revelation is written to Christians who are suffering and sacrificing, suffering and sacrificing, precisely because of their loyalty to Jesus Christ. And John is telling this church, the Spirit of Jesus is prompting John. Jesus is revealing to this church through John the Revelator to his suffering and tempted church, don't accommodate, don't compromise, don't give up. Remain faithful even unto death. And so this is a very timely word for us just as well as it was for them. This is a word for Christians living not just in places where Christian persecution is rampant and prevalent, which there are many, many of in the world today. And by the way, today is the day that we're going to pray specifically for the persecuted church. It is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church It's also a word for Christians living in the intolerant cancel culture of the West as we begin to lose our jobs, our financial security, and even experience the outrage of the mob. So here are the three questions that I want us to quickly use to guide us through this passage from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Three questions. Number one, what do we see? What do we see in this passage? 
Number two, what do we hear? And number three, what does it mean? What do we see? What do we hear? And what does it mean? And the first thing we notice, the first thing that we see in this passage is, get this, we see the big picture. Literally, I mean, it's not figurative. We're, our eyes are open to the big picture in heaven through this revelation. This is the prize, what John reveals to us here, this is the prize that our eyes are supposed to be fixed on. Keep your eyes on the prize. We're literally in this passage, in the throne room of heaven, Jesus the Lamb is in the midst of the throne of God. He's being worshipped as God. Right there on the seat of God, there's the Lamb that was slain. You know, we need to see heaven to be reminded that all that surrounds us right this minute, and so we are so overwhelmed with the anxieties and the pleasures and the pursuits of this present age, we need to see heaven to be reminded that these temporary things are just that, they are temporary, and they're passing away. This is temporary. Put your eyes on things eternal. You know, we can handle the temporary present, y'all. We can handle the things that we're enduring right this moment because we have our eyes fixed on the eternal. And that's exactly what Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 3. And if, uh, and if you want to memorize a great three verses of Scripture, I recommend actually four verses, I recommend these, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, what is he talking about? He's talking about people who have accepted Christ by faith, experienced the new birth, be born, being born again, being buried with Christ in baptism, and being raised again, to newness of life in Christ. So therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Where is our attention right now to be fixed? On things that are above. Set your minds, he says, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If you set your mind, if your heart is fixed in this moment, if you're preoccupied with this moment, if there's nothing transcendent in your life, you're going to be filled with anxiety. You're going to be filled with anger. You're going to be filled with hopelessness. But if your eyes are fixed on things above where Christ is, you're going to have new life, abundant life. Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, here it is, who is when Christ, who is your life. He is your life. I told you you have life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we see the big picture. We also see, and I want you to hear these words. I'm choosing them very carefully and intentionally. It's going to be a scary word coming up for you. Okay, just get ready. We see here the beautiful triumphant, holy, here comes the scary word, Catholic church. <gasps> the Pope is going to show up any minute. No, we're not talking about denominationally Catholic. We're talking about, in this sense, we mean Catholic here as in keeping with the what? Whole church. This is the church, what we are seeing here in Revelation chapter 7. That's the church that Jesus sees right now. That's the church that Jesus sees. 
every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white with palm branches in their hand, exclaiming in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the church that Jesus sees. And the good news is this, two things. First of all, this is the church that in the power of the Spirit, you and I are to be longing for and working towards in this world, in His Spirit, that that's what God sees His church as being. And anything that we would do that would put an impediment, a stumbling block in being a church where every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue is welcome to worship together, that's not the Lord. So he gives us the inspiration to work towards that. The second thing is this, and it's so wonderful, that all of the divisions that the church experiences right now, whether they are things on adiaphora. I hate it when adiaphora divides us. What's an adiaphora? It's an it's a arguable, arguable thing, things that are not essential to the faith. All those adiaphora that divide us, all of those racial things that divide us, cultural things that divide us. Oh, and let's listen to this. We're, we're all willing to talk a little bit right now about the divisions that come through race, but here's a big, here is a big unexamined division in the church today, socioeconomic. Oh, I'm a professional person. i got to find me a church with a bunch of professional people. Oh, I'm a working person. I want to find a church with a bunch of working class people. All of those divisions are torn down before the throne of God. And so we see the entire beautiful, healed, redeemed, holy, Catholic church. And that's such an encouragement. That's something that God wants us to know about because he sees our divisions coming to an end in this passage. We should be longing for that as well. We also see the saints from every age that have come out of the great tribulation. Now listen, brothers and sisters, I am convinced because it's in the Bible, especially in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, that our Lord teaches that before the end, before he returns in glory, there is going to be a particularly severe time of suffering that the church must endure right, right before Christ comes in final victory and glory. That, that is the final, if you will, Passover of the church, and it is still before us in this day and age. And it was still before John, certainly in his day and age. But the great tribulation referred to here, and this is relevant to us this morning, is that, that these saints have come out of, is through it's the tribulation, it's the battle that every Christian in every age has to wage, has to fight against the world, the systems of the world. You know, we talk about systemic injustice and evil. Those are real. We've, we've only been talking about that since the last 2,000 years. Thanks for catching up, America. Thanks. Great. We're here already. So the world... The flesh, that's our disordered appetites that, are, that rage against God. I don't want the things of God in my flesh. My flesh wants things that are not of God. And we have to battle against that. And then we battle against the devil. There is a genuine, real, spiritual enemy. Every Sunday morning, you get your, you're putting your socks on to come to church. The devil is going to try to resist that. He's going to, you're going to have a fight in your family that you didn't need to have. You're going you're gonna to uh, have people in your family that are going to like sprain their eye, um, their, their eye muscles with the eye rolls that they do about having to come to church. You know, so that you're going to be confronted 
with something of the enemy. That, that car is going to not start. Every Sunday we come here and our attitudes are deeply affected by the enemy as we seek to come into God's presence to worship. We are in a fight. And this is the tribulation that every Christian faces in every age. Some of us to very great degrees where we actually can suffer imprisonment and death because of Christ. Some of us in, very, in much lesser degrees, but we are still in the fight together. It is still the great tribulation. We see that they're wearing white robes. Now, what does that mean? Why are they wearing white robes? Do they go to the same place that we get our clergy attire from? Is that why? No, that's why we're wearing these robes. It reminds us of those guys in heaven, our brothers and sisters there. Two reasons that those robes are white like that. Number one, it says, the scripture here in this passage says that their robes have been made, they've been washed, they've been made white, it says, in the blood of the Lamb. So what does that mean? First of all, obviously, it refers to being cleansed from sin. You can't hear the phrase, the blood of the Lamb, referring to the blood of Jesus, but he says the blood of the Lamb. You cannot hear that phrase without realizing we're talking about what? A sacrifice. We're talking about a sacrifice of atonement. So, brothers and sisters, I know that it's not popular right now in a lot of places, but Jesus did suffer the wrath of God on our behalf, taking our sin upon Himself. That's what the Scripture tells us in Isaiah's prophecy. And so, we're washed through the blood of the land, our, our sins are made clean, and we are given a fresh new start through Jesus Christ. But those white robes also stand for this. Listen, they are a sign of victory. In the ancient world, when a Roman general entered the city of Rome in triumphal procession, he would be clothed in white garments. So not only does white represent purity, listen, these garments represent victory, victory. And how do we get it? Through the blood of Jesus. We share in his victory over the power of death and everything that stands against God because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So we see those wonderful white robes. I said to him, Sir, you know, he said to me, these are those coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So what do we hear? So we, that's what we see. What do we hear in this passage? Well, first of all, we hear that heaven is loud. Heaven is loud. And you're thinking, well, Ben, you will fit right in. You'll fit right in. No, it is filled with the thunderous praises of God. You know, there is a time, and there's actually, right after this passage, it talks about there's a seal that is broken, and then there's, there's um, uh, silence in heaven for about the space of an hour, half an hour, something like that. And so that's, that's, there are times when heaven gets quiet. But generally speaking, it is just rolling with the thunderous praise of God. And we hear the angels in this passage praising God. We sang the praises of those angels this morning, the same words. Well, you know, worthy is, is the Lamb to receive blessing and honor and glory, all those things. That's the song of the angels. And you know what? Listen, guys, those angels are here. We can't see them right this minute. But they are in our presence today. The Bible tells us that. And they are our fellow worshipers. We have had people, there was, there's a woman who attends this church. She is not given to flights of fancy. She's not that kind of personality. She's a rather concrete and thoughtful person who has seen us, who saw a vision of angels over this altar worshiping with us. 
That just makes the hairs rise up on the back of my neck. Others have seen angels in, just in, around the ceilings in, in this room. That's, that's been seen. I, I've never seen that. But I'll tell you what I have done. There have been times in this church where I heard us singing, and we love to sing, even with our masks on. But I have heard something else singing. I have heard something else joining our voices. The, the, the sound that was in this church is not accounted for by the people and the musicians that are in this church from time to time. They join us, and we join with them. So we hear the angels singing praises to God. And then we hear the redeemed. We hear those before the throne, our brothers and sisters, crying out in a loud voice. That's your, listen, these are your Christian family members who have died and are with the Lord right this minute. You know, some of those are great, great, virtuous uh, exemplars of the Christian faith. People like, man, I'll never be that good. And then there's other Christians that are standing before the throne who remind us that we are saved by grace and not by works. And they make me very happy because that's what I'm counting on. That limped into glory. But they're there right now, singing out with joy before God. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. My mama, who died in January, is singing praises before the throne of God right now because she's redeemed by Jesus. Craig is singing praises to God before the throne right now. Our brother Joe Mullinax passed away since last, well, just right before the last um, All Saints celebration, singing praises to God. Others in your life that you can point to and name by name this morning are singing in a loud voice. They remind us in their praise that, listen, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to whom? To God. They remind us in their, in their praise that we don't look to the government for our salvation. Salvation belongs to whom? To God and to the Lamb. We don't look to the president. We don't, don't look to any human agent as the source of salvation. We need to be reminded of Psalm 146, verse 3. If there was a memory verse for 2020, this might be it. Do not put your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. So if you think salvation is going to happen some one way or the other on November 3rd, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Put not your trust in princes or any son of man in whom there is a little bit no, no salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise God. We hear the eternal blessedness of all of those who make it home to glory. All of us who will come out of the great tribulation. Some one day in that final great Passover before the church is brought home to glory. They'll be there too. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. This is what we hear. We hear this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Now, just stop right there. And some of us are going to say, does that mean it's going to be like being in church forever and ever? That doesn't sound like heaven at all. Oh, but brothers and sisters, listen. Every now and then, 
every now and then, what happens in this room on a Sunday morning swerves into things eternal and glorious where we say, I don't want this to ever end. So sometimes, because we're just sinful human beings, it's just like going to church. <laughs> sometimes it's like the heavens have rolled back and we are caught up to the realities that are there right now. And you don't ever want to leave that. Therefore, they, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. And listen to these beautiful words. Listen. For the lamb, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb is their shepherd. And he will guide them. I think I might have heard this somewhere before, maybe Psalm 23. And he will guide them to springs of living water. <laughs> That's going on for your loved ones in glory right now. And listen to what it says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You cannot live very long in this world without piling up a register of regrets. Things that you have failed to do, things that you did do, disappointments you've created for other people, things that you've done in the lives of those you love that you can never take back. You can't get that toothpaste back into the tube. The tears of regret, tears of suffering, tears of loss, tears of loneliness, whatever those are, they're going to be wiped away. And right now, your beloved who are before the throne of God right this minute, that register of regret is undone. And God holds them in his presence and they rejoice. Their tears are dried. So what does it mean? What, is, what do we see? What do we hear? What does it mean? Well, this is it. And if you don't remember anything else out of this sermon, remember this. First thing, God wins. God wins wins. And because God wins, we who are faithful in Christ also win. Because God wins, united to Christ, I win too. God wins. No matter what it looks like right this minute, I don't care if you live in northern Nigeria. I don't care if you live in North Korea. I don't care if you live in the Congo. I don't care if you live in Sudan. I don't care if you live in Syria or Iran or Iraq or any place else in the world where Christians are suffering. And maybe, maybe, maybe even if you live in North America and you just lost your job because of what you believe about Jesus. God wins. And because he wins, we win too. Just a little while, brothers and sisters. Just a little while. It's not going to be, when we get there, it's not going to seem like it was that long. Right now, we're in the back of the station wagon asking mom and dad, are we there yet? But, in a, but we're going to get there and it's going to say, that was like, it's like, that was nothing at all. 
The glory that we receive surpasses the sufferings of this life so much. God wins. It means that we have an unshakable, hear me, we have an unshakable hope. I never thought much about that Christian virtue of hope. You know, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Yay, love. Love it. But you know, I just kind of just read right over hope. Please listen. If there was any, any time, this, that word in 2020 is now one of the most important words in my vocabulary. Hope. Hope. It didn't mean anything to me until we saw so little of it. We have hope. We have an unshakable hope. And we only have that hope because in this life right now, as long as we maintain that eternal perspective. That is why the world around us is so fearful at this moment. That is why one half, right this minute, of the American population right now thinks that the world is going to come to an end at this election if it goes one way. And the other half of the American population thinks that the world is going to come to an end if the election goes the other way. We live in a time where there is a drought of hope. But that's not where our hope is. I was talking to a woman going out of church last night who was just telling me, Father Ben, I'm scared. I'm scared. Honey, you got your eyes on the wrong thing. You need to open up the book and see heaven again and remember where our hope is. So the good news is, yes, actually, the good news is the world is coming to an end. (laughs) But not the way the world thinks it is. It's going to come to an end because this old world, this broken world is going to go away and a new heavens and a new earth are coming. So no matter who wins this coming week, Jesus Christ wins, and he is coming again in final victory. He will return with all his saints to rule in everlasting blessedness and victory. So brothers and sisters, those three French Christians who were stabbed to death, two stabbed to death, one decapitated while they were in prayer in a church in Nice, France today, this All Saints Day, They're crying out, salvation belongs to our God. Isn't that great? They win. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Those 18 Christians who were killed in Congo this past Wednesday and had their church and homes burned down, they are before the throne of God today shouting, salvation belongs. Salvation belongs. There's nothing you can do to me. In this world that changes this, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and they are victorious. Your friend, your mama or daddy or brother or sister or son or daughter who limped, didn't, didn't run, didn't finish the race like, like, like superstar, but because of the grace of Jesus are saved today and limped into glory, they're shouting out salvation belongs to God. They're just as victorious as those brothers and sisters who got the martyr's crown this week. Isn't that good news? 
Don't we have so much to look forward to? Brothers and sisters, I want you to go out of this place today with that word ringing in your heart. Hope. Hope. We have a hope that is unshakable because salvation belongs to our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.